Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history. Brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. The National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. opened with much well-deserved fanfare last fall. But this year, Connecticut celebrates the 30th anniversary of its own institution devoted to African American history and culture. In this episode, Connecticut Explored's Elizabeth Norman takes us on a tour of the Amistad Center for Art and Culture with Executive Director Frank Mitchell. The episode features music by Connecticut-based Self Suffice, the rap poet. Misery, misunderstood history. If I could live in peace, then I would chemistry. Manhattan likes to live in street spirituals with lyrics in peace. Until all of our people's spirits is free. Until all our people in is free. Till all my people in LA get free. Till all our people in is free. Till all my people in UK get free. Till all our people in is free. Till all my people in get free. Till all our people in is free. This is Elizabeth Norman, publisher of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm visiting today with Frank Mitchell, executive director of the Amistad Center for Art and Culture in Hartford. Hi, Frank. Hey, Elizabeth. Well, I'm here to talk to Frank about their newest exhibition, 30 for 30, Art Agency Legacy, commemorates the Amistad Center's 30th anniversary. And before we get to that, I want to talk about the Amistad Center itself, what it is and how it came to be. A full disclosure, I was recently elected to the board of the Amistad Center, and the Amistad Center has been a longtime partner of Connecticut Explored. Uh, the Amistad Center is really a museum within a museum. Tell us what the collection encompasses. This is a pretty encyclopedic collection. Uh, Randolph Lindsay Simpson, who collected much of this material, came from a family with a long Connecticut history. Uh, if people know the Yale campus and Lindsay Chittenden Hall, that's his family. Uh, and he was growing up in New York State, close to where Frederick Douglass had been active, and became fascinated with Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln at a pretty young age. And so as soon as he could, started collecting material that documented those two histories, and the collection grew from there. So one of the things I love about the collection is that it seamlessly combines art and history. The center's housed within the Wadsworth Athenaeums, which is an art museum after all, and has featured some really important contemporary artists. Can you tell us about a few of those? We like to think about our collection, and our challenge here is aestheticizing the history. And we have lots of great historical material that lives within an art museum. And so we need to make sure that as we present exhibitions, we present the historical material in conversation with fine art and play to the strengths, the aesthetic strengths of a lot of this material. Uh, one of the ways that we've become really good at doing that is working with uh, contemporary artists to help them or encourage them to find new things, things we might not be seeing in our collection, and, and mounting new work or mounting exhibitions with work that is influenced by that history. Uh, a piece that we really, really love here is a work by Hank Willis Thomas called Greetings from the Sunny South, and it's 
a piece that brings together a collection material and his unique genius, uh, our postcard collection, and Hank's appreciation for it and his desire to present it in a new way meant that people could come and visit these postcards in a plexiglass house that told the story of uh, transformation of black imagery uh, in a broader cultural sense from the late 19th century to the early to mid 20th century. And the Athenaeum collects and exhibits work uh, by African American artists too, so how does that work? It's definitely an evolving relationship. At one point, the executive director of the Amistad Center also was the curator of African American art at the Wadsworth. Today, the, that collection, the Black Art Collection, is integrated into American art and contemporary art and other collections within the Wadsworth's holdings, and so there is no separate Black Art Collection, which is the great thing, and, and there is no Black Art Gallery. We often work hard to incorporate pieces that are in the Wadsworth collection into our exhibitions and vice versa. We popped into Frank's office for a few minutes while a school group toured the gallery. Just a few months after the opening of the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., Frank spoke about how the Amistad Center was founded, beginning with the acquisition of the collection of Randolph Lindsley Simpson of North Brantford, Connecticut, for a million dollars. A bunch of visionaries here in Hartford and some on the board of the Wadsworth Athenaeum learned of the collection. Simpson was hoping to sell it, share it with the larger public, uh, find a home for it here in Connecticut someplace. And he talked to people at African American Studies at Yale, uh, probably folks at the Beinecke, folks here at Hartford learned of the collection, and, and this combination of community folks and folks who were on the board of the Wadsworth decided that this institution would be the ideal home for this collection. And together came up with a strategy for purchasing the collection with support of uh, philanthropists here in Hartford and some funding from the state and began thinking about a model that would allow for the collection to thrive in the context of the Wadsworth Athenaeum. And it really was a pretty unique model. There, there wasn't anything like it uh, existing in the nation. I don't believe there is even today where you have two not-for-profits, uh, one housed within the other, uh, sharing staff functions in some ways, and, and having this 30-year evolving relationship uh, that has changed as, as, as we've grown as an institution and as the Wadsworth has changed and evolved as well. And this collection is fairly encyclopedic and I think it, it makes it unique because it doesn't focus only on fine art or history, mm -hmm. we really try to bridge that gap and a number of other uh, second-generation institutions or ethnic institutions focus on art or a particular aspect of history or a particular moment in history. And the challenge for us is how do we balance the imperatives of our collection, which really is in a lot of ways a history collection, with the fact that we're in a fine art institution and we all care about contemporary art and sort of balancing the historical material with the work of contemporary artists is in some ways a pretty unique challenge for, for this institution. And one of the really nice things about being here, being in the Wadsworth, but also being in the Amistad Center and working from the collection that we have, it's a great collection that allows us to tell a lot of different stories in a way that is pretty multidisciplinary. So we've 
monthed exhibitions about Hurricane Katrina and the influence of African-American artists in New Orleans. We've done exhibitions on food and hair. Uh, we've done a number of really, really great historical photography exhibitions. Uh, so lots of fun stories. And the great thing is that we've got a collection that allows us to start with what's kind of in storage and then to build shows from that. The Sanders Collection tells a national story, but uh, you've got Connecticut material too. I mean, how, how much would you say is kind of Connecticut materials? Hmm, hard to say, but I think in the collection work that relates directly to Connecticut is probably 10 to 15 percent would be my guess. Yeah, uh, and a lot of it really is manuscript material and things that that it's harder for us to show. Uh, one of the challenges is that a lot of the material is small, so lots of carte de visite and other kind of small objects mm -hmm. that are difficult to show in big galleries. And some of it, you know, they're manuscripts, they're books, they're things that tell important aspects of the history, but they're not visual art. And so how we present some of this material is an ongoing challenge, or how we incorporate it into the stories we want to tell. It's, it's important because of the history and, and the stories that, that are conveyed in these documents, but you know, some of them are just pieces of paper with somebody's writing on them. Yeah. And so how, how, that, how you blow that up into something that's compelling visually in a case or in a gallery is an ongoing challenge. Back in the gallery, Frank explained the thinking behind 30 for 30. We had some great experience at the 25th anniversary. Uh, we knew we wanted to do a show like we did in that year that was a chance to bring out lots of material that's in the collection. It should be a show that really shows the breadth of the holdings that we have and some things that we don't always get to show. So that was one of the most important aspects. We also wanted to find some big ideas that would help to structure the broad themes of the exhibition. We often, when we have more topical exhibitions up, people come and they're disappointed not to see uh, the big moments in African-American history. So something about slavery, something about the Civil War, uh, the Amistad captive story on view. And they're often right. There needs to be a place within the state where you can come and hear or see stories and representations of those big moments in African-American and American history. So we wanted to do some of that with this exhibition as well. Uh, I was intrigued by the idea that there were these generational moments that were different from me than they might be for younger viewers and visitors. And was at a class where we were talking about were there big things that happened in people's lives or that they remembered or thought about that were transformative for African American history. And it was really intriguing the places where we agreed, like uh, the election of President Obama and the things that that these younger people thought of as being transformative that I would have thought, hmm, not so much. And I think those, that background helped to inform what we would do with the exhibition. There was a chance to mount a show that people could teach from and would cover some big ideas and would connect people across generations. So parents could come and talk about things that were shared history, like the election of Barack Obama, and kids could talk about things that felt more like it was their history. The, the show is built around 30 epic choices or critical moments in, in African-American history. Uh, the March on Washington, the slave narrative, uh, the activist intellectual, uh, music, 
Uh, and sort of one of them is audacious hope, so connecting uh, Cornell West's idea of liberatory possibility and prophetic witness and the ways in which that pushes along the civil rights movement and the struggle for justice and freedom, uh, right up to Barack Obama's use of the audacity of hope for, for a similar kind of set of ideas. You see abundance is everywhere on this earth. Frank took us to look at a work by contemporary artist Joseph Hasenauer called Abadana. You understand the reference when you see the work. It depicts Abraham Lincoln as the Virgin Mary and Barack Obama as the baby Jesus, making the connection between Lincoln's legacy and our first black president. Since for many people, the election of Barack Obama is one of those shared, epic, transformative moments that no matter whether you were 10 when it happened or 50 when it happened, it's going to be one of the big ones. So this image uh, by Joseph Hasenauer, who is a Philadelphia-based artist, connects Barack Obama and Abraham Lincoln in that historical trajectory. Uh, sort of like a number of works in the show in which we see uh, presidents or significant figures in history uh, canonized in some way. And this one, you know, he is literally canonized. And in Avadana, we have Abraham Lincoln, as the Virgin, and uh, Barack Obama as the baby Jesus. Uh, it's definitely got a sort of a, a, a kind of Greek Orthodox kind of tint to it in some ways, uh, but I think he's just playing with a whole bunch of symbols here. Now what is President Obama holding there? Is that an, like an iPad or...? <laughs> some bit of technology. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's distinct, but yeah, you've got the track trackball there in the center. So references to the contemporary, but also to the broad strokes of history. Next stop was a lithograph by Gilman Russell from 1856 of George Washington. In the background are the words of the Declaration of Independence encircled by Ivy. So one of the ideas is founders, founding fathers, founding figures, uh, founding mothers, and in some ways the tension between uh, the founders of America, people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and founders of African America, uh, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, uh, and Sojourner Truth, and those folks, particularly over the issue of slavery. Was this a work? Collected by Simpson or something that came This is collected by Simpson. Uh, and so why did he include this in his collection? What does this say about the African-American experience? Simpson was very much a product of his times, and so the collection is really, really interesting because in some ways it's a biography of who he was as a collector and who he was as an American subject, and an American subject with a certain kind of privilege, and what he grew up thinking about. So part of it really is focused on the story of African-American history that he wants to document and present, and then the context for that story. There are things in the collection that, that surprise you or shock you or sometimes even disappoint you, and there mm -hmm. are things that are surprising because they seem particularly progressive or, wow, who would have expected that? But at a certain point, he just begins collecting things that really help to tell the story of African-American progress and evolution in the context of American history. So he's constantly negotiating his identity as a mid-century subject and the things he thinks about patriotism and, and his feelings about being an American, but also balancing that with the things, his commitment and his 
sense of urgency around telling the story of African Americans and the ways in which he wanted to portray that. So it's very much a narrative of progress and ascent and achievement. What I planted a road. Got so much I already got enough to be a front to say I don't want some more adore what I have so much I got some more. Next is a contemporary work called Runaway by printmaker Virginia Evans Smith. We took a few minutes to decode the images Smith had incorporated into her work. We've got this one paired with Virginia Evans Smith's Runaway uh, to highlight some of the tensions around George Washington uh, as the first president, a founding figure, but also a slaveholder, uh, and particularly the enslaved folks who were able to escape from, uh, from George Washington's various homes. Uh, the, the, the woman owned a judge who was a servant in his Philadelphia home when he was president, who runs away, the chef who also runs away later, uh, and Washington's struggle with wanting, in the end, not to be complicated by the issue of slaveholding and sort of wanting to not go to his grave with that hanging over his head, but needing to assure that his wife's heirs would receive property or would receive that property or the compensation from that property. So that, that complicated tension uh, with the ideals that he espoused uh, in the Declaration of Independence and in founding the nation that came into the collection by way of the artist. So not one of the pieces that Simpson had in his house. And this piece, for me, in the pairing really speaks to that tension of uh, the runaways, the folks who left. Uh, but the detail work that she's done in sort of pulling a bit of the runaway ad into the image uh, and working with these historical images, we want to engage artists and draw them in. We want people to see details from history and from elements of the collection. And we have ads just like this in the collection. We have references to figures that look just like the figure there uh, who's on the run in our collection. So and then there is we want to a that. squashed insect at the top there. She uses a lot of nature images in her work generally. So in some sense, I think this, this is part of her practice and her discipline. <sighs> it is thinking about the role of uh, flora and fauna in telling the story. Uh, certainly the wings there seem really, really, really important and profound. Uh, the fact that the insect is captured and, and sort of stamped into the piece, but also the flight, the possibility of escape and change and freedom uh, tied to sort of these figures that are running away. And the, uh, the, the need to try and capture or catch or hold on to. From the George Washington and Smith images, we next looked at photographic portraits of major figures in African-American history and a contemporary work, Counting, by photographer and multimedia artist Lorna Simpson. Her works have been called anti-portraits. These images of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman. Douglass being someone who thought a great deal about the image of African-Americans and his his role and the potential of his role as somebody who would be seen as an important figure for African Americans at a point in which people are talking about should blacks be allowed to serve in the military, uh, can they be soldiers uh, during the Civil War, and playing with the notion of what does it mean to represent black men uh, at this pivotal time in history. Uh, he went to a number of sites as he was speaking and at each one he had a photograph taken. It turns out that he is probably the most photographed American of that period. 
right up there with Abraham Lincoln and with the royal family uh, in Europe because of his assiduous uh, commitment to being photographed at every stop along the way. He got to know lots of photographers and got to think a lot about what the best, what his best side was, uh, where his hands should go, how he should be facing the camera, what his hair should do, and the image he wanted to project as the face of, of black America. Now, this image by uh, Samuel Fassett is a rare image. This was shot in a sitting in Chicago, and we're more familiar with a few of the other poses, and this pose is not usually seen, so we are really, really happy to be able to show this. Uh, and we're pairing it with the Harriet Tubman image. Uh, and so they're in contrast with George Washington as a founder, as they're founding this new nation, and really struggling with what it means to represent black America at this pivotal time. Photography is one of the 30 big ideas in the exhibition. And those two pieces are in dialogue with this great Lorna Simpson piece, Counting. And we go from a moment where these founding figures are thinking a lot about what it means to be captured on camera, what their stance should be, what kind of clothes they're wearing, should they smile, should they not smile. You rarely, if ever, see Frederick Douglass smile because he felt like, or we assume he might have felt as though there's nothing funny. <laughs> but it's important to be serious. This is a struggle. Yeah. This is for the, for the ages. There's no joking. So he's always serious. He's usually um, three-quarter profile. Um, he is the face of of a nation in some ways. Uh, and we move and evolve from that moment to Simpson's piece where she's telling us everything that she thinks we need to know with this slice of this woman's clavicle and, and sort of her, the lower part of her face, her lips. So we've gone from portraits that need to speak to the generations about the nation, and it's gotta be kind of three quarter, if not a full body, in a particular kind of clothing, to these pieces of images in which we're able to tell a certain story. This pairing really suggests that there's been a lot of work done by black photographers and subjects in the hundred or so years between the Douglas image and Simpson's image of counting. So another idea, epic idea or epic moment in the exhibition is the Amistad captive story, which is very much a Connecticut story of uh, captives uh, mutinying and ending up here on the coast of Connecticut and being drawn uh, ultimately into New Haven and then to Hartford as they worked to free themselves and get themselves back home to, to Africa. And we have a number of pieces here that flesh that story out. The wonderful uh, Jacob Lawrence commemorative piece that he did, Revolt on the Amistad, uh, which has special kind of local history here, and it's great to be showing that. Uh, and in conversation with that piece, we have this incredible wood carving by the artist David Washington, who is based also in Philadelphia. Uh, and it's Claro walnut wood, and it's a really incredible piece that imagines the Middle Passage. Well, he's carved this from what appears to be a single slab of, of wood with live edges, and it's uh, carved in relief. There's four figures in the foreground. There, there are clearly many figures in the background, all 
crouched down, crammed within a very small space. You see chains and struggle, and you really feel their pain and their what they're experiencing. Yeah, the, the, the actual piece of wood is incredible, and he, I think he struggled for a while about whether he could get the piece of wood and what he would do with it, and, and his vision for the final piece required him to work hard at building the skill level to be able to execute it. And so you can sort of see where he has gone back as he's gained a particular skill at working, especially in the hair and the detailing of the hair and sort of the articulation of uh, braids or sort of these little curls there and gone back and added more detail as he's gained more skill in being able to manipulate the wood in those ways. Uh, this piece is a really, really great and profound piece. It's based on other images of the Middle Passage, and he sort of drawn on some of that history and presenting it. And as he was working on this piece, he was in a rented house with a small studio space that was, I guess, in a basement area, and he was in a crawl space that would accommodate sort of the wood because it was so big, but it required that he sort of hunch over to do the work on it, and one day he's working on it and realizing that he's in the same position almost that the figures he's carving are, and so it had this much more meta moment for him as he was working on the piece, but it's really great to be able to show it. There is actually in this piece an element, I'm not going to spoil it for you, so you've got to come see the piece, there's an element that sort of changes it from a desperate representation into a hopeful, optimistic representation of folks on the Middle Passage. So thank you, Frank, for introducing our listeners to the Amistad Center and your current exhibition, 30 for 30, Art Agency Legacy, on view through the fall 2017. One of your signature events is Juneteenth, coming up June 16th, 2017. Tell us about that event. So Juneteenth has evolved. It's like everything else. It's probably, it's not as old as the organization, but it's certainly in its 20s at this point. Uh, and Juneteenth celebrates the moment in history when enslaved blacks in, in Texas learned that they had, in fact, gained their freedom. Uh, and it's celebrated in various parts of the country. Uh, there are some celebrations, historically black celebrations, that are New England focused. And we have at times thought about finding ways to celebrate some of those too. But Juneteenth is the one that we have had the most success with and people really have come to enjoy it. And now we've broken it off into two weekends. So we have Juneteenth Family Day on June 10th, that Saturday, June 10th, which is also an open house day for all kinds of museums and institutions. And we do heavy programming here uh, at the Wadsworth in a lot of spaces in our galleries and in Morton Great Hall and in Avery Court. And it's a pretty great day for for family visits. Um, and we'll be focusing on a lot of celebratory aspects of our 30-year history and the exhibition, so people should definitely look out for that. There are probably a couple other great things we'll try to tie into on that day, possibly a shuttle taking people to uh, over towards the Stowe Center and maybe to the YMCA in the North End. And then the Juneteenth Gala uh, on Friday, June 16th. This year we'll be honoring Linda J. Kelly, recently of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, who has been a sort of a great friend to the Amistad Center, uh, to the city of Hartford, and to the region. So we're really excited to uh, recognize her with our Spirit of Juneteenth Award, uh, along with uh, a local artist uh, 
Arian Wilkerson, a dancer. He has performed here uh, at the Wadsworth. Uh, he has performed with us, certainly on Juneteenth in the past. He has a company and is really working hard to build an institution that serves uh, his vision for dance here in downtown Hartford, but also supports other emerging artists to bring energy and attention to the challenge of uh, younger artists in the city of Hartford and, and by extension, the state of Connecticut. We're really excited to be partnering with him, too. For more information, visit amistadcenter.org or find them on Facebook and sign up for their A-list e-blast where you will get all the latest on what's happening at the Amistad Center. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. realities from notions that we preconceive. How could you perceive when no one who you be around ever sees? I blame the system and the man and conspiracies tricking me to figure the man in control isn't me. Before I reach for your purse, reimburse my soul. Leave my body in peace when they carry me in the hearse. For every story I'm yelling, somebody got it worse. Can't tell it, but they nod their head when we drop the verse. In the hood's misery, misunderstood history. If I could live in peace, then I would chemistry. Manhattan likes to live in street spirituals with lyrics in peace. Until all of our people's spirits is free. Until all our people in the East is free. Till all my people in the West get free. Till all my people in the South is free. Till all my people in the North get free. It's like a mystery in times like a prison, not physically, but very realistically. I wanna make a prison break and change back time and write all my mistakes. I write them on the page, but writing's the wrong way. I've been writing all my life, used to write in your hallways. Long days and dark nights, it's always the same. More days is more fights, it's like something's gotta change. I just wanna lead a planet, but the stars is a long way away. But there's always a way. Spaceships, satellites, prisms, hope the speed of light in it. Why is it? Better technology if we so busy trying to take a life with it. I want to see the star systems. Y'all just want a better car system. Caught up in this god-awful system. I wonder if a fly whip is the extent of y'all wisdom. God willing, we can make it through the Armageddon. This is not fiction. It's been all written before. And more scriptures than y'all could envision is war. And it's more than television. Telecasters always got tunnel vision. Rewind your mind is trapped by pictures inside. It lies the trap. I cry for that is why we die. In the hood's misery, misunderstood history. If I could live in peace, then I would chemistry. Manhattan likes to live in street spirituals with lyrics and peace. Until all of our people's spirits is free. Until all our people in is free. Till all my people in LA get free. Till all our people in NC is free. Till all my people in UK get free. Till all our people in New Jersey is free. Till all my people in Compton get free. Till all our people in DC is free. Till all my people in VA get free. Till all our people in Iraq is free. Till all my people in Kenya get free. Till all our people in Cuba is free. Till all my people in China get free. Yeah, man, if you don't stand for it's freedom, free. you don't fall for slavery. Man, it's free. Slavery, spiritual slavery, even without the chains. It's free. All my people in Detroit, Cincinnati, Mississippi, Atlanta, it's Alabama. Free. However you flip your ground. Get free. Sound minds all across the globe. Even it's if free. I don't know, you keep doing your thing. Get free. Get yeah. free.
Watch for Frank's story in the upcoming fall 2017 issue of Connecticut Explored. And in the meantime, read about Connecticut in World War I in the spring 2017 issue of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. Available by subscription or single issue at ctexplored.org. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Frank Mitchell, the Amistad Center for Art and Culture, and Self Suffice, the rap poet. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Norman and Patrick O'Sullivan. And thanks for becoming part of the Grading the Nutmeg family. Please write a review on iTunes. And stay with us for more authentic and fascinating stories about Connecticut history.